I'm Professor Bob Hewish from the Department of International Development Studies at Dalhousie University. You're listening to GDP, the Global Development Primer, the podcast dedicated to all issues in international development studies. Follow me on Twitter at Professor Hewish. And for this episode of GDP, the Global Development Primer podcast, we're very excited to have Altul Tandon join us. He's a global leader known for building, growing, and turning around some of the world's best-known for-profit and non-profit enterprises. Altul Tandon currently serves as a CEO for Opportunity International, a non-profit organization that designs, delivers, and scales innovative financial solutions to help families living in poverty build sustainable livelihoods and access quality education for their children. Now, prior to Opportunity International, Tandon founded and served as CEO of the Tandon Institute, which provides strategies, solutions, and staffing to enable social sector enterprises. <clears throat> and before that, Tandon served as a leader of the United Way World, Worldwide's 41 Country International Network, helping build and shape the world's largest network of community-based charities. And additionally, he oversaw the network's worldwide corporate relations and fundraising functions. In 2019, Tannen's lifelong leadership was recognized with Itigan's Global Leadership Award, and in 2021, he received Nonprofit PRO's Lifetime Achievement Award for honoring his decades of service to those living in extreme poverty. And today, to learn about his story and the exciting work that's going on with Opportunity International, we're happy to have Atul Tannen join us on GDP. Hello, Atul. Hello, Bob, and uh, greetings to you and to all your listeners. I am so excited and very, very thankful for this opportunity to to come and uh, spend some time with you and and, and to talk about uh, you know uh, our work and and what is happening in the world out there. Absolutely, and it's a pleasure on our side as well. Uh, I mean, just uh, just learning about your story, your own personal story. Uh, maybe we can maybe we can start there. Uh, you know, your story uh, it begins if I say this correctly uh, by walking away from Wall Street uh, and then going into this very expansive work within the nonprofit sector. Could you could you take us through that? How did this all begin for you uh, with the work that you're doing today? Thanks, Bob. I, I, I have to say that the, that was a uh, oft-repeated pro- quote that was a long, long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> so, but, you know, oh. I, I grew up, uh, if you will, with a family of uh, very limited means in India, and that's really where the story begins uh, in, in many ways. And, you know, my father's only mode of transportation, Bob, through his life was a bicycle. So right. we, uh, my brother and I, grew up with very little, and uh, but with lots of love and lots of uh, expectations and lots of faith. And a mother who, who truly, you know, she was a school teacher, believed in both the power of uh, education and, and the superpower, if you will, of uh, expectation and excellence. So she transported that to us, and you know, invested whatever little the family had in us, and so did our extended family. And, uh, you know, those were the things of the sense of interdependence that we will all get together and, and, and thrive together. We are here to look after each other. I have individual accountability to, to, to succeed. Uh, at the same time, you know, I have to invest in others and others will invest in me. When those things led to both a successful education career and then eventually spirit of adventure against my pres- parents' advice, uh, ended up going to business school, 
one of the early graduates with an MBA, which led to a career in a, you know, starting up a company when pe- people are not starting up companies and then uh, joining Citibank uh, to launch their businesses in India, Asia. Eventually got to Wall Street, Bob, and I was 40 years old and uh, had a midlife crisis, if you will, health crisis. And uh, getting out, you know, asked myself, uh, what gives me deepest joy? You know, what what do I wake up to, which I'm excited to look forward to for as the day begins? And uh, part of my answer went back to my own childhood. You know, I had seen some people, I was one of them, succeed. I had seen many fail, left behind, left out, side of the road. And part of the answer came from my faith, is uh, the story of the Good Samaritan. You know, the person who, who reaches out and picks up the person, the person who's been beat up and lying on the side of the road and says, you know what? You're my brother. I'm going to have stop and help. And that led to those two coming together, led to that career change was uh, my deep realization, my deepest joy, my deepest satisfaction was in helping others, specifically those, uh, you know, the, the people I had lived with. And to see young men and women, if you will, you know, be, get the opportunity to follow the same path that I had of a good education, of uh, building their skills, their expertise, their competencies, uh, getting the opportunities in life that they could succeed. And, you know, so I stopped, Bob, and decided to to uh, focus on the person lying on the side of the road. And that's made all the difference. It's been a wonderful life. And I I, I couldn't live another day over again. It's it's really been quite an exciting right. adventure. Right. <clears throat> and it's and it's it's great how you've, how you've approached this, uh, you know, starting with the midlife crisis and then seeing the the importance of, of service, if it's if it's community or if it's if it's philanthropy on a, on a larger level, uh, you know, there, there's sort of a stereotype of where midlife crises go, and it, it can sometimes wind up in uh, you know exotic destinations and, and convertible vehicles and this sort of thing. But I, I I really think that there's probably others out there who may work in in some of the environments that that you used to also maybe feel inclined to to make such radical changes. And it's uh, it's inspiring to hear that you've gone down this this path. Yeah. Thank you, Bob. I, I I do believe all of us, you know, when we really ask ourselves, okay, where do we get our deepest satisfaction, our deepest joys? I think we all come up with probably about the same answers. It is in serving others. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's in working with those around us. It's in in helping those who don't have much uh, to get the taste of of uh, success of of uh, you know living better lives. And I think that's what I've invested myself in. And frankly, I have the great privilege today of being surrounded by a group of people who believe likewise. And, uh, you know, over the last 20 years since uh, uh, I left Wall Street, I'm seeing a lot more people following in that, you know, whether they are uh, in mid-careers or now even at the end of their careers. So it, it truly is, it's an exciting time. It, it really is an exciting time. Excellent. And and one of the areas that that you've you focused on, of course, is microfinance. And as someone who, who's, who's conducted research in, in India, oh my God, almost about a, a decade ago myself mm-hmm. now, uh, I've, I've become a big fan of it uh, from what I've seen on the ground and how, it's, how it works when really combined with broader development goals. And, and I'm thinking about uh, some projects that I've, I was able to observe and study and participate in that, that tried to marry uh, health education to to microfinance support and 
the the success rate of it was just uh, was just incredible. Like even by community community, you, you just see that health outcomes were better and and farms were doing better and everything just felt a little bit more cohesive. So with your work at Opportunity International, uh, offering microfinance, uh, digital banking services, what what is it that you're working on today that uh, that's impacting people around the world? Thanks for the question, Bob. I think, you know, one, uh, we uh, just to recap where we are and, and what we are focused on doing, you know, we, we've got now, we ended 2021 with about 7.1 million clients with loans and average loan sizes are oh, about $320. We had 14.7 million clients in twice the number with savings and, you know, average savings are about $44, $46. So we really are working with people at the bottom of the pyramid. Their children going to school, you know, 15,000 schools we had financed with about 8 million children in those schools. And, you know, the, the, and doing that through, and I want to come to that, through partners. What we understood and opportunities since its founding 50 years back was the power of partnership. And frankly, underlying that is the power of trust. Right? Yeah. We organize our clients into small trust groups, whether they are saving together village savings loan associations or that there are trust groups where they are borrowing together, trust groups where they're insuring each other. And similarly, you know, we said, okay, well, our best effort as, as a philanthropic nonprofit was to really deploy the capital in a way that with trusted partners who in turn would, you know, then add their capital to ours. So you have blended capital at work. And that's been really the superpower, if you will, of, of a partner-rich uh, and, and asset light sort of methodology reaching out to millions of, of clients. I'll give you a little story. In fact, you know, going back to your point about health is that we have a, a program in India uh, with a, a local uh, partner, Healing Fields, where they train uh, local women they, and they exclusively work in, in uh, uh, you know, village areas and in, in rural areas. Uh, they train local village women who are relatively pretty much uh, most no skills and relatively illiterate uh, in basic health practices, primary health practices. And then, you know, we equip them with backpacks of, of just uh, very, very basic health care uh, needs of families. And they go in uh, to homes and teach uh, mothers and children about you know, everything from using clean water to how to keep wounds clean how to make sure that if the, if the child has diarrhea, how do you get immediate help and, and make sure it doesn't go, you know, doesn't get bad. So that sort of pre-primary health care with now we have thousands of, of these women and frankly, millions of, of families who we now can track and say there is improved health practices at home. As a result, there is better nutrition. Uh, there is uh, more days of schooling and for the children and, and the women are actually able to work more. So it's, it's very dramatic when, when you do something like this. Uh, and, you know, the, the beauty of it is, Bob, the, we partnered with, you know, we, we obviously get the, we provide them with the backpacks. Uh, we set up a model where they, when they go visit, they charge a small fee so they earn an income. You know, they get a loan from us to set their little mini business up. But then we partnered with the, uh, with the, the Stanford Medical School. Uh, and uh, had uh, one of their uh, actually uh, doctors who was also a, a, a teacher there. Uh, she came up with a, Bob, you're not going to believe it, but but a, a comic-based method. So they've got these comics 
that they go through on their little tablets and the Stanford profs are sitting in, in uh, you know, in Silicon Valley and these women sitting on the floor in their village over, uh, you know, over the internet with these little tablets. And there's a comic book that teaches them what to do, how best Perfect. health practices, if you will. That is Perfect. the most effective way to take modern health practices and teach these semi-literate women, okay, how do you now help improve the health? health of your neighbors so it's it's that combination of 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 you know uh, the best thought on the one side and the best practices on the other side but then working with local partners who are directly connected uh, to to the local community and bring those people together and we provide the binding if you will we provide the financing uh, the training mechanisms the support systems and kind of hold it together and that's how magic happens. And I could tell you story after story of, of you know, uh, a, a projects in India and 30 other countries that would follow a similar profile. Right. And, you know, when the rubber hits the road with these projects, you, you do see the development outcomes. What you described there uh, of sort of the, the community health worker, village health worker model is is something that I, I too have witnessed and have, and have worked with and, and can clearly attest to it. And what's really striking, I think, about, what you just mentioned about this connection between Stanford, the tablet, and this 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 education approach that is catered for people who may have low literacy or work in rural areas, is is it seems like such a a marvel innovation. But at the same time, despite the the technology being a major part a major part of it here, the the issue that grounds it really is that that attempt to to give knowledge to to make sure it's accessible to people and at the same time also uh, all the, change the gender dynamics at the same time so it's like the these commitments to that community service is is what's the value and then your your approaches are just building on those values so I thought it sounds yeah, yeah absolutely you're so right and I give you another you know example this is from Ghana is uh, uh, this was during the COVID pandemic, uh, Bob. Obviously, if you recall, you know, uh, markets were shut down. Uh, people, our bank branches of our partners were shut down. And, you know, we have in Ghana at that time, I think we had about six to 700,000 uh, savers uh, in, in, in the banks that uh, we have partial equity in and our partners are. are. And uh, those people couldn't access their accounts. And remember, this is their life saving. You know, the $42 that I'm speaking about, is, is not simply, uh, you know, lunch money. This is all that they have. But how do you give them mm. access to it? So we very rapidly, you know, got uh, mobile technologies and tablet-based, connected them to the local, uh, if you will, ATM switches. But that wasn't enough because the women, they don't trust the phones. They don't trust digital technologies. Uh, and and uh, so you, you had to come up with, with a model that said, okay, there has to be a human connection for them to actually believe that they can get the money remotely, you know, through their phones or through a local uh, uh, agent, if you will. So our bank, one of the banks we work with, they realized that, oh, these women who are our clients, they speak in, in the local languages, local dialects of about seven to 10 major dialects. Well, they had a call center, but they only had uh, people who spoke one of those seven to, to respond. Those guys, the bankers, overnight, Bob, branches are closed. They polled the staff to find out who spoke all the languages, turned their branches into call centers. 
Hmm. and went from one language response to nine languages in 24 hours. Right. And, you know, you, you look at that and say, wow, it, it, there is, we couldn't have dreamt that up, you know, sitting in, in Chicago. But that's your point about how do you get the, the local knowledge, local connectivity, but then you, you have this, you know, high-tech solutions of call centers, you have high-tech solutions of ATM networks and, you know, mobile phones. But in the glue really is that human connection is, is we understood, well, the, our clients speak their local dialects. They don't speak English or anything else. If we have to provide them access in their local dialect to, uh, for na- to enable them to get access to the bank account. And the result was, well, the result really was at the end of the pandemic, we had more clients and more depositors, even though the banks had been closed for months. Right. But you made that connection. That there was the ability to to really see how, what people were, were looking for in terms of ways to commune with each other and to, to respond and to figure out where, where those connections could be. So it sounds. It is. And I think that to me is, is sort of the essence of we talk about, you know, global development and humanitarian development. I think that's how it happens. Yeah. Is when we can marry, you know, in, in many ways, uh, uh, technology, finance, uh, the, the solutions that, uh, you know, we, we could have come up in, in academic settings, uh, uh, in other research settings uh, on the ground, but then we learn to apply them in a very localized context. Yes. And, and I think that's, that's, that is the balance because when you get into seeing the work of, of global development, uh, repeatedly every year, every new, new budget cycle, every new government that comes in, there, there, there tend to be two major mistakes. And the, the, the first one is uh, just the enthusiasm to do something without paying attention to any local context whatsoever and say, this is a great idea that worked over here. We're going to try it over here. And that's what we're going to do. And then often you can, you can get into fantastic failures and, uh, and, and even cause harm in, in certain communities. And then the other way to do it would be to to overstudy. Well, I shouldn't say overstudy, but study something to the point of of being petrified to do anything. Uh, there, there's lots of there's lots of work out there about you know theoretical approaches to any development project, if it's microfinance, if it's healthcare intervention, and it's incredible how often the call can come down to we need to do more research on the subject rather than actually take action. And and again, in both both circumstances, I mean, where where is harm being done, and and where is where is good being done uh, in this in this balance? You know, if we if we if we just steamroll into places, that's not great. And if we study things to the point where, or it shouldn't say study things until the point, but study things in a way where we're petrified to act, that also doesn't help. Yeah, um, I, I would agree with you. I would agree with you, and I would I would really add is is that. Uh, and what we have learned at Opportunity, you know, we have done a number of innovations over, over multiple years, everything from uh, starting up trust groups in El Salvador in, in, in the 80s to uh, understanding the power of savings and, and saying, OK, we, the poor need access to banks and then saying, oh, well, the, the, the HIV AIDS pandemic in Africa got us to realize the power of microinsurance. You know, uh, and, and now specialized finance like education finance, act finance. I think what the, the, the thread that ties all these things together, where you, what you're talking about, is the sense of okay, well, we first have to pay attention to our client. In our case, the clients are the poor. 
what are their needs and and that's that's where you start you know yeah. you don't start in my office you actually start sitting on the dirt floor in 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 their hut or in the farm or in 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 the school with the corrugated tin roof and, and listen to people and, and see what they're needing and then say all right what are the most effective ways to what is the right solution and what are the most effective currently available delivery mechanisms what well, if you can find those great if you can't then let's build uh, new ones that are sustainable and scalable right exactly. and find local partners to do that and you know one the willingness to accept failure but two to your point you've got to get started and and uh, put a team together find a local champion or or a, t- a, a you know community champion or an organizational champion and then support them to to get the job done and you know be there when they Uh, pick them up when 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 they fall down and, and celebrate them when 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 they succeed so it it's uh, it, it, well, you've got to do it you what yeah. my business and i i know as you've spoken to your guests they would agree with me in our business there is no option but to go ahead failure is not an option we'll accept it we'll deal with it and now we'll build the next one exactly and you know just just the points that you're making here um seeing where the opportunities are to act is, is vital um you know in in the 90s of course there were there were many theorists who who uh, pointed out just so well that uh, being poor is actually very expensive mm-hmm. you know to be in in that that lower tier of poverty uh, is far more expensive than 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 a middle class life for the reason that everything that you're earning is going is going to to ways that don't build those resources that if it's property if it's savings if it's insurance it was as if the systems were were just letting people fall through without any ability to participate in them so i you know now that we've we've seen these models working over the years and you've got the success stories to back them up we're coming out of a global pandemic we're verging on global conflict right now and you know your work impacts millions at opportunity international What would you say are the greatest challenges facing the poor today? I mean, and what you're seeing in your work, uh what what's the way forward? What can we expect to to deal with in the coming years? Uh, well, in many years back, this was probably in 2000, the World Bank did a, you know, multi-year study. They met uh, literally thousands of poor families and then published, I think it's in three volumes, uh, a, 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 their research findings. and the title of the research findings w- 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 was uh, to me enigmatic it says uh, the title was can anyone hear us right right and and some point that probably is a topic for another uh, podcast what what uh, what what did we find at that time and how does it apply today but i think that's one of the most important challenges that faces the poor today can anyone hear us Right. you know the the pandemic as we speak about it uh, close to 100 million people forced back into extreme poverty yeah. right uh, you know close to a billion people today earning less than what they were at the start of the pandemic i mean I, this is in addition to the loss of of life that we've experienced and yesterday you know uh, researchers saying that loss of life could be three times higher than what was recorded so so it's so we are dealing with that kind of situation but then to me uh, the and what the poor as a result are facing okay how do you now build back but you know in 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 terms and how do you build forward and how do you make sure that uh, they they are resilient for the next crisis you know you've got these uh, 
uh, Boda Boda drivers in 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 Kampala, Bob. You know, the, the young men with the motorcycles, and you, yep. you know, you want to go from one place to the other. You you hop on the back of the motorcycle, you give them a few Ugandan shillings at the end of the ride, and off you go. Well, they were all shut down because uh, there was uh, curfews and marketplaces were closed, and uh, thousands of those uh, Boda Bodas got repossessed. Well, now the marketplaces are open. So what do you do now? And this is the challenge that faces them uh, you know, to go back to learning, earning livelihoods. They now have to repair their credit, get a new loan. It probably has to be discounted for a little while uh, so that they can get their income streams up and, and then you know, give them a, enough working capital so they can keep uh, running their small you know, motorcycle-based businesses, the Boda Buddha's back in action. And I think that sort of exemplifies what needs to be done here, it, mm-hmm. is you now have to come alongside. You know, we got, you know, in, in the U.S., Bob, in the, the, the government provided trillions of dollars of assistance, PPE loans and forgiveness and so on. These people have got received nothing. So now we, we are at a point where we're working with local banks to now re-extend the credit to help them repair the, 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 the you know, credit discrepancies they've had and get these guys back on the road. And uh, today, I mean, I'm looking at, you know, we, have, we focus on women. Uh, our solutions are fairly straightforward. How do you make sure you provide financial resources to our clients how do you make sure that they have the training, the business training to actually start to set up businesses, run farms uh, and, and, and uh, you know, get a bet, better productivity and better income? And then how do you have the support that they need to, to, to survive? So rather than meta solutions at, at uh, the, the level of millions, we really focus on micro solutions at the level of households. So we now have, you know, okay, in the next three years, can we get 3 million more women uh, to, to, to get loans from us? You're probably looking at about 6 to 8 million more savers and use digital technologies to access both. Uh, smallholder farmers, uh, you know, farmer, uh, smallholder finance, ag finance, four times more effective than any other means to, to, to impact rural poverty. All right, so what can we do to help farmers grow more and get more? Well, we came up with a solution of, uh, of really equipping model lo- local farmers who were really already uh, doing better model farmers. We call them farm support agents. Give them a means to, to earn a living and teach others. So, you know, each one, teach one, if you will. So we've got a teacher training model going with, with local farmers. Uh, uh, on education, we now have uh, rapid uh, extension of, of credit and, and working now with the local financial institutions to extend credit to, to school proprietors, to set up schools or to remodel schools and to families who, who might lack uh, the capacity to send those kids to school. But then how do you make sure they get a good education? So we actually worked with, you know, people like uh, uh, Cisco here, uh, you know, a U.S.-based corporation and others to start to now provide tablet-based training to school teachers, thousands of them Mm. across Africa. Uh, You know, know, South African company that came up with the teacher training curriculum. We've put it on on tablets, uh, translated in local languages, and literally thousands of teachers who in turn are now better able to educate, you know, millions of children. And Bob, wow. here's what happens is, is when the teacher gets this tablet, they, this is the first experience they have with, with training of this kind. 
and it's it's tablet based it's resident on the tablet they don't need an internet connection but they need a certification program that we help them with they are more than excited to learn right it's it's they, they can see they're investing in themselves same thing with the farm support agents now here's a farmer who's doing doing better than other farmers he or she can now go and help them but earn a living improve their own living get a fee in the process they get excited to help their their, their local people there is both a social incentive but there's a financial incentive in in, in doing that uh, same thing with women agent bankers in india how do you equip women who who already have bank accounts to train other women on how to access uh, you know digitally uh, their own banks and their own savings uh, but create a financial incentive for doing that so you take that those principles is what's leading up to so in our focus uh, as we look to the next uh, few years we we really are looking at okay how do i get you know 3 million more women clients how do i get 1.7 million more farmers how do we get another 8 million children into schools and that is our focus in terms of really addressing the needs at the grassroots level yeah. and if that succeeds then let's take it down and multiply it you know two three times i mean atul as you're going through these these stories i mean what i'm what i'm really taking away from this is that you know you're seeing the ability to make changes within these structures that haven't always included people in the past and uh with with the tablets i mean that's that's brilliant uh we we are featuring this season on on the podcast a couple a couple of sessions about online and and distant uh, distant education and one of the things we've mentioned is when you look at the structure of a classroom uh the way we often teach if it's for maths or if it's for uh languages or whatever it's it, the the design of a classroom hasn't really changed much in about 150 years right you have students in the room and teachers at the front and 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 that hasn't moved a whole lot but now with some of these resources that are available online just in the last 5 years the innovations are are getting better so that they can be more attentive they can be more personalized they can be easier for teachers to get curriculum and apply it and likewise with finances uh, you know there's there's hundreds of years of history of of banks that have that have made sure that they there are some people who never got access to yeah. the credit and securities that you mentioned and now that's that's all changing so i i you know i know there's a there's a lot written in international development about get skeptical about uh, about finances and new technologies but really when you when you take it down to the bottom base and you see that it's about accessibility and and trying to drive that forward this is where it comes to and i guess my my question my last question for you is that if people are interested in getting involved with opportunity international what would be their way of doing that well you know please do i mean uh, i would refer them to our our website opportunity.org and uh, you know there is obviously uh, a information for uh, people to to if they would like to give to our programs you know we we operate in 30 countries uh, with 104 partners uh, and uh, in in principally in in financial services and in education but of course to give but as well as to partner you know we we would uh, uh, go take a look at our website I mean we have you know vast amounts of uh, resources on on education finance on agricultural finance i would say especially to 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 your uh, student listeners to the scholars uh, you know we would uh, love to have you as you're looking at our programs and and want to study them more uh, please do get in touch with us Uh, and uh, we 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 would you know we appreciate that partnership 
the uh, we follow Bob to your point that you made earlier. We follow uh, a, a high touch followed by a high tech approach. Uh, we believe that that you know really it is the human touch and the touch of trust that matters. So if those are the things you're interested in finding out, please do get in touch with us. Uh, and cool. uh, you know we 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 would love to have you learn more and and uh, to engage more. Because uh, equally to engaging with our clients and serving them, I believe that as a nonprofit, our job equally is to to get people who are interested here to give them the means uh, to to engage with our work. So you know, look forward to to hearing from them and look forward to people visiting our website, opportunity.org. Great. Well, that's fantastic advice, and we'll we'll leave it there. Atul Tandon, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Opportunity International has joined us this week to talk about microfinance, education, and ways of, of really serving uh, serving communities around the world through innovation. So thank you, Atul, for, for joining us. Thank you, Bob, and uh, thank you to all your listeners. Uh, we look forward to, to catching up with you either in person or uh, in social media or on our website. Thanks for now.